everybody. Welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for faith and life. I'm Tony, and today is episode 128 of the podcast, where I get to sit down with pastor, uh, ministry leader, and author Phil Waltrip. Phil Waltrip and his new resource, Stop Chasing Happy, we talk about what it means to find spiritual contentment, how to glorify God right where we are, and to serve God without chasing cultural happiness. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation with Phil. He's got a voice of experience. He's got a nice little Southern charm, and he brings so much to this dialogue about contentment in a season where a lot of us are chasing what's next. So, hey, do me a favor, hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts, leave us a rating review on iTunes, and maybe even share this episode with a friend. It's a great way to get the word out about what God is doing on this platform. Speaking of platforms, if you didn't know, the Reclamation Podcast is a part of a brand new podcast network called Spirit and Truth. I talked a little about it last week, but Spirit and Truth and I are deepening our relationship as I go on staff with them. So if you want to support Spirit and Truth, check out their website, spiritandtruth.life. Everything you do goes to help uh, expand the kingdom of God as we work with local churches all over the globe. Again, for more information, check out spiritandtruth.life. Now, without any further ado, here's my conversation with Phil Waldrop. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm excited today to have uh, mentor, pastor, speaker, extraordinaire, Phil Waldrop with us. Phil, thank you so much for being here today. Well, I am honored to be here, and I appreciate all of those accolades you gave me there. <laughs> that's, uh, that's quite an honor to be called all of those things, but it's such a joy to be with you. Well, uh, Phil, I like to jump right in. And so um, in your latest resource, Stop Chasing Happy, as I have, as I was kind of uh, researching it and exploring it, one of the, the first questions I have for you, and it a uh, little tongue-in-cheek, is uh, what do you have against happiness? Well, I don't have anything against happiness. In fact, <laughs> in fact I think we're all created to want to be happy. I think it's just, you know, happiness is sometimes defined as the absence of pain or always the presence of pleasure. But what I've discovered is that we have a generation of people who are living their life in pursuit of being happy. Mm. And then when they think they've arrived at what will make them happy, they're just as empty. And so I, uh, I've met Christians now for the past 45 plus years. And when I talk to them, they say, well, I just want to be happy. And one day it occurred to me, Nowhere in the scriptures are we told or we're commanded to be happy, at least in the sense that we think of it in a secular sense. So I went back and mm. I thought, but yet there are people that I know who, at least being around them, they appear to me to be happy. And so, you know, when I began to talk to those people and I went back to what Paul wrote, especially in the book of Philippians, I discovered happiness is really a byproduct of doing what God created us to do. Mm -hmm. So when you are doing what God created you to do, and you're on the same mission God called every Christian to be on, happiness is really the result. It comes from a contentment, a joy is another word we use. And it's just amazing what happens in the lives of people once they decide, hey, I don't have to chase after happiness. I just need to be what God created me to be. Then they find the joy and the happiness they've been searching for all their life. 
So one of the things I always love to ask people is about how they hear from God. And, and I'm always curious, mm-hmm. you've, you've written before, how, how did God call you to write this kind of resource for such a time as this? Well, I believe that God uh, speaks to us, first of all, through his word. Yeah. Uh, I, someone asked me one time, said, have you ever heard the voice of God? And they said, audibly. And I laughed and I said, and I'll tell you how you can. And they said, how? I said, just read the Bible out loud. And they, they, that wasn't quite the answer they wanted, but that's the first and foremost. The second thing I've discovered is that the Holy Spirit, who I believe is indwelling our hearts as believers, is making us uh, aware, keenly aware, and he speaks to us, whether we call it impressions in our heart, whether we want to say it's thoughts that we don't think of, whether it's in our prayer time, suddenly we become aware of something we're not aware of. It's almost like the Holy Spirit takes what we've learned in God's word and the Holy Spirit never contradicts God's word. He's always consistent with the word of God. And yet he applies it in situations in our life. And one of the ways that God clearly speaks to me after I'm saturated with the word of God and I'm keenly listening to the Holy Spirit is that as I go through my day and I just meet with people, whether it's you know a lady at the bank that I see or whether it's somebody that I'm having a conversation with over lunch, sometimes I'm amazed at how what I have been studying in Scripture, suddenly this person uh, begins to discuss or talk about in their life. And as I begin to observe and listen to their stories, a lot of times I see either how they have disobeyed the Word of God or they have been consistent Mm. in obedience to the word of God and the impact that it's had in their life. So one of the things I I find is the word of God is true. And when we will actually start looking, watching, observing, we'd be amazed how we can see the truthfulness in the lives of people. Do you think um, for somebody who, who maybe is just getting started on this kind of track of mm-hmm. learning what it means to be obedient to the word of God. What does it look like to get started? Do you, do you think it's like a chapter a day, a verse a day, a devotional? If somebody's listening to this and they're like, man, I've never really thought about happiness or, or obedience in the word of God mm-hmm. before, where do they get started on that, on that journey? Well, the way I believe is it's literally like I would say to somebody if they was going to start an exercise program. You know, it's amazing if somebody mm. wants to start exercise in their mind, they think, well, I've never been to the gym. I've never exercised. So I'm going to go to the gym today. And when I get to the gym and I'm going to work out for an hour and when I walk out, man, I'm going to have a body that's going to be built for me to enter a competition somewhere. Well, we know that doesn't (laughs) happen. It comes with time. And we also know you're going to be extremely sore the next day. So the way I explain to young believers is don't try to conquer it all in one day. This is a growth process. You know, we use the term Christian growth or spiritual growth. It's a growth process. So To answer your question, is it a chapter a day, a verse a day, a book a day? My answer is it's whatever you can digest every day. Think of it like a baby. A baby can't, you know, a newborn can't eat a steak. They're not prepared and ready for that. Mm. Paul even made reference to uh, that there's the milk of the word and there's the meat of the word. Don't be embarrassed to say, hey, I'm just starting. I'm trying to pray. I mean, I, as I've discipled people, I've said, if you can just start with five or 10 minutes a day disciplined in praying, if you just make that a habit, 
it won't be long before it'll be 15 minutes or 20 minutes or, and there will be times you may be spending a whole hour in prayer. But if you start out trying to do it for an hour, you're probably going to fail. So it's about taking those little steps and those little bites. And when we start talking about growing as a Christian, as it relates to our happiness, it's not like, okay, today I've been a good Christian. I've done everything God told me to do. I'm still not happy. Well, it's a little bit like growing or exercising. It's going to take Mm. time. But the more you become obedient, the more you're going to see that joy and that happiness is going to come in your life. Now, one of the things that you talk about in in the book is this idea about calling and circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, at, w- once we develop uh, 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 obedience to God, once we do start to develop some of those exercises for good mm-hmm. scripture intake and good prayer and good time in the word, h- how do we next discern what our calling is and then learn how to be content regardless of the circumstances? Well, I think we have to start, and let me just say this in, in regards to what you said. I I tell people, I believe as a Christian, as I've discipled people, I can share with you what's worked with me. I think it starts with the basics of your having a daily quiet time, which includes reading scripture and prayer. I think it's being involved in a local church where you can use and discover spiritual gifts and what God wants you to do in the life of the body of Christ. It's about being faithful and giving. And I also tell people it's being faithful. I I like to call it journaling where you can see your growth. But once you've done that, then you want to know, okay, what is my calling? What has God created me to do? Here's what I've discovered. Most people, when they say to me, what's my calling? They want to know something that's going to impact the whole world. You know, hey, am I the guy Mm -hmm. who's called to, you know, you know, to eradicate poverty in the world? Well, you may be. But, you know, God may also be calling you just to care for a loved one who maybe has some physical or mental limitations. I find some of those people are happy because they find their calling. Here's the way I like to describe it. And I talk about in Stop Chasing Happy. I make this clear distinction because sometimes as Christians, we don't. All of us have the same mission as Christians, and that mission is to glorify God. But all of us have a different purpose in the kingdom of God. Here's a way I would explain it if I was sitting with some of my 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 buddies. Think about a football team. You know, everybody loves football, whether it's NFL or like in the southeast where I live, college football is big. And I'm from Alabama, so we live and breathe football here. And yeah, a that's, football it's team, actually the second best team in the second best team in the country <laughs> behind Ohio State. Oh wow, now we're never now we're going to turn into a debate. But anyway, uh, what's going to happen? <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. What I tell people is, you know, if you think about it, a football team consists of coaches and players. It consists of managers and and even fans. All of those people, in a sense, are part of that team. They all have the same mission. They want to win the game. And on the football team itself, there's a quarterback and there's a guard and there's a wide receiver and there's linebackers on defense. Mm. All of them have the same mission. We all want to win the game. But the quarterback can't do what the linebacker does and the coach can't do what the quarterback does. And certainly the coach can't do what the fans do. Everybody has a different role to play. Everybody has a different Mm. purpose. The mission's the same. For Christians, the mission is to glorify God. Everything we do is to bring honor and glory to God. But how we do that 
and what our calling or our purpose is, is different for every person. Some are called to teach and, and to, to preach. Others are called to, um, you know, to serve on a mission field. But then there's people who have a calling that maybe not doesn't seem as glamorous. You know, we it may be you're called to work at the local church in in the you know the nursery, caring for babies so adults can be hearing the word of God taught. Or maybe as I said, it's just being something in your community, but finding what God created you for and do it. Everybody wants to be the quarterback on the football team, and everybody wants to be the head coach because they're the two that get the interviews. They're the two that get the glory. And sometimes we have a, mm. a feeling that, you know, if I do what I really feel called to do, nobody's going to applaud it. Nobody's going to recognize it. And I say, well, it may be no humans recognize it, but your heavenly father recognize it. And the benefit of finding that calling is you're going to have a what I call a spiritual contentment, but you're also going to have happiness. It's going to bring you significance and meaning. And at its heart, I think that's what joy and happiness, when we say that, that's what we really want. I want to feel significant and I want to feel I'm making a difference. And when we find what that purpose is, may not be glamorous. Nobody may write a book on how to do what God's made you to do. But when you do it, you're going to find that commitment and that happiness. I I love that term, spiritual contentment. Um, And I, I think what I hear you saying is that it comes after we um, glorify God. And so mm-hmm. I, I know that there's some people listening who maybe aren't serving in a church yet, or they're, you know, they're just working. Maybe they're an accountant. Maybe they work for the government. Mm-hmm. H- how do we glorify God on a random Tuesday in October? <laughs> well, we do that, I believe, by realizing our calling is the glory, you know, our, our mission is to glorify God. But God has assigned me, as you said, maybe to be an accountant working for the government. So therefore, I see my task as being his representative among the people around me, that I'm going to be the person not self-righteously, not egotistically talking about how spiritual I am, but I want to be the person in that environment that people say, you know, that guy's very honest. That person doesn't lie. That person is faithful to his spouse. Um, that person seems to have something about him that's different. Or as I like to tell people, you know, if the Holy Spirit indwells us as believers, every time I go to work, the Holy Spirit is going with me. And he just wants me to be his representative while I'm there. And I, and here's what helps a lot of people, I find, with, with their employment, especially when it's it's not in a church environment. And church environment's not easy either, but... But sometimes it's amen, not, in a, amen. <laughs> not in a church environment, but in a secular, maybe even in an environment that's hostile to Christianity, maybe in an environment where people, nobody around us shares the biblical values that we share. When we walk into that environment, we have to remember our mission is to glorify God. And our calling is that we're going to be God's representative in that environment, at least for now. God may change your assignment later on, mm. but for now... I'm assigned to be his representative in this place. I like to think of it like this. I have a friend who is in law enforcement, and he said, you know, whenever I walk into a restaurant and I have my uniform on that I'm a police officer, when I sit down to eat, even though I'm there to eat, I'm still representing the law. He said, you know, if I walk through the mall 
even I'm having my uniform on. Uh, he said, even though I may be there to shop or I may be there to help with a situation, I'm still representing the law. And he said, when I understood that as a police officer, that as I as I walk, everything I do, I'm representing the law. He said, it changed my conduct. And I think when we realize that we're representing the Lord and that's our mission and our assignment may be to be his representative in that environment, um, I personally think that in itself brings a contentment. And I think it helps us to see that work may not be fun, but yet I'm on a mission and knowing I'm on that mission will bring joy to my life. I, I think that's a, a valuable, uh, a valuable posture of our heart. Um, w- one of the things that I wonder mm-hmm. about is if you're anything like me, uh, there have been many seasons in my life where I have not represented the Lord well, right? And and sure. I failed in in some ways. And and I wonder mm-hmm. w- what does starting um, a new look like? What does it mean to uh, to start a new? Like you know, I, I haven't always been a good representative, but I want to start being a good representative. H- how do we go from uh, you know discontentment to spiritual contentment? Maybe is a, another way to say it. Well, I think contentment has to do with understanding the big picture. And let me give you an example of that. We often read the book of Philip, uh, Philippians, Philippians, I'm going to say it right here in a minute, Philippians in the Bible. And, you know, if you read the opening chapters, and that's the verse that when you talk to Christians, especially about joy, they always say, well, you know, that joy epistle that Paul wrote, where he said, rejoice in the Lord. Mm. But there's something interesting when Paul starts his letter to the church at Philippi the Philippians, the, the, the epistle of Philippians. When he starts that epistle, he spends the first part of it explaining why he's in prison. Now, when I first read that, and for a long time I read that, I thought, well, why did he do that? And then it occurred to me, you know, the first time Paul went to Philippi, according to the book of Acts, when he went there, there were very few Christians, but he, finds, he, he, he found some ladies praying on a riverbank and he joined in them. And because of that, a young lady that the Bible says was demonically possessed uh, gives her heart to Jesus. You know, the demons leave her. She's set free. But the people who made money from her, they get upset and they have Paul and Silas put in prison. And in Acts 16, we Mm. have that wonderful story of how in prison, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises to God uh, and the prisoners heard them. So they weren't quiet about it. And as a result, there was a great earthquake. So the very foundations of the prison were shaken. And the result was Paul and Silas and the other prisoners could go free, but they didn't. And we know the story how the Philippian jailer came in and, you know, brought them out and that question, what must I do to be saved and their response? Well, that's how the church at Philippi got started. In fact, many historians believe that the jailer and his family were some of the what we would call charter members of that church. Now you fast forward a few years. You have these Christians who have heard that story so many times, how the earthquake came and how Paul was set free. And now Paul's in prison. So it's easy to be a Christian when there's earthquakes, but now he's in (laughs) prison. So so those those Christians had to be wondering, does Paul have enough faith? Surely Paul's miserable. He can't be happy. Anybody can be happy when there's an earthquake and you're getting set free from jail, but Mm -hmm. he's not happy. So Paul reminded them, hang on just a minute. He said, guys, the overall mission has always been about the gospel. 
It has always been about sharing the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. In Acts 16, an earthquake gave him the opportunity to share that message. But in Philippians, he said, God's not going to send an earthquake because I am sitting with guards every day chained to me and they can't go nowhere. So I'm sharing the gospel. And many of them have come to Christ, even some in, in, in the very highest levels of government. And he said, see, God didn't change his purpose. His purpose was for the gospel to be shared. So Paul says, hey, I can be content. He said that in Philippians. I can be content. Even though there's pain, what I'm going through, I still see the mission. God is still fulfilling the mission. And he goes on to say, it's God's purpose right now for me to be going through this experience so I can share the gospel with these guards. And the end result is when we study that, and that's the same epistle where he said, rejoice in the Lord. He didn't say, be happy. He didn't say rejoice. I mean, you you don't want to be, you know, it's like you don't want to, the doctor says you got cancer and you're dying. And it's, it's kind of foolish to say, well, that makes me happy. Praise the Lord. No, but we can say, I don't understand why at the moment, but I'm going to rejoice in the Lord, which means I know what God is up to. I know his mission and I know his mission is to bring honor and glory to him. And I know through this experience, like Paul in prison, He's going to use me for that purpose. So it's about the mission, whatever our assignment may be. And that brings a contentment because I don't have to get rattled. God's got this. And even though I may not understand it, it may not turn out like I want. I may go through a little pain. When you know your purpose is assigned by God to bring honor and glory to him, you can be content in even the most adverse circumstances. I know that one of the ministries that you do um, in is pastors retreats, and mm-hmm. and I was really intrigued by that because um, a lot of my friends and I were getting together and we're talking about what's happening in the state of the church, and what I hear mm-hmm. from a lot of pastors, and I'm sure you're hearing it as well as I am, is this, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of trepidation, there's a lot of burnout, mm-hmm. there's a lot of um, I mean, honestly, there's just a lot of pain, right? It, it feels a little bit like jail in, in some regards. Yeah. What are you, um, what are you telling pastors who are coming to you and they they don't have Paul's perspective or they lost Paul's perspective? <laughs> how, how do we how do we get that back? How do we get that back when we're in prison? <laughs> well, as I tell people, um, you know, I, I, I jokingly tell people that one of the early things I learned in ministry is that even Christians can be unkind and they can be mean. I once had a man challenge me on that who actually said to me, I just don't believe Christians can be mean. And I said, well, then explain to me why 85% of all inmates um, in prison today claim to be Christians. (laughs) I know some of them came to the (laughs) Lord afterwards, but the truth is Christians can be mean. And I think we've entered a time when people are very... Uh, I, I don't know. They're very discontented in their own life. Life's not working out for them. We all had our roadmaps of what life was going to be. And along came COVID and just totally turned everything upside down. We're now working from home, which for some is good. But, you know, as my friend said the other day, I'm working from home, but we have four preschoolers. It's not fun working from <laughs> home. Um, other And in church life, suddenly, you know, for a long time, I believed in the church in America We've had a lot of cultural Christians, 
Church was a place to network mm. with good people. Now, all of a sudden, that's changing. We do extensively, um, a lot of extensive ministry in New England, which is one of the most unchurched, unreached regions of our country. Um, it's almost heartbreaking to drive through, you know, those beautiful states of Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine, and to see how few people, I mean, they look, I mean, they're not atheists. It's just not important in their life. And those pastors mm. are so discouraged. That's when we started a, a special retreat for them and have them to come. But in the last year, uh, suicide and suicidal thoughts have become very prevalent among pastors, not just there around the country. More men I know and women, too, are saying, I'm leaving the ministry. I'm getting out of this. I'm going to get a secular job. And which I sometimes say to you, so you really think that's going to be easier or better? But I think there's something deeper, Tim. I think there's something deeper than all of that. And it's something if, you know, as I sometimes will say, just between us girls and just between us, um, I have to say, I think some of us in ministry have allowed ourselves to become performers. We, whether yeah. it be in our music or even in our speaking and our, our teaching or our speaking, if people applaud you, how wonderful, you're so good, you're great. And if we're not careful, we get kind of, a, we get to liking the applaud. Now, again, this is just between us mm. girls, okay? So we're not going to go tell it. We told it, right? Right, right. Um, uh, or just between us guys, we might say. So we get accustomed to that. So when the crowd turns from applauding to booing, all of a sudden we don't know what to do with the crowd because they were approving us. They were affirming us a few minutes ago. Now they're not. What I've said to so many in ministry, if you're in this work to get applaud, to get wealthy, it could be God is purging his church. It could be God's trying to do mm. a work in your life. Because remember, you know, there were times when when Paul was very effective. And Paul, you know, as I tell people, Paul got to meet with the political leaders of his day, but he didn't go there on an invitation to a banquet. <laughs> he went there because he was a prisoner or there was a conflict. Paul went there to preach the gospel. And I'm afraid some of us have gotten so mm. accustomed to the world approving us. I'm not saying that's the sole reason for it. I also find many men in ministry day, they don't get rest. They don't discipline themselves to have downtime. Uh, in fact, I tell a lot of my pastor friends, uh, which is applies to anybody who's in work. If you work with your mind, your hobby needs to be something you do with your body, you know, play golf, do exercise yeah. or something. But if you're in a um, if you're in a job where it causes you to, to physically uh, have manual labor, then your hobby needs to be something that stimulates your mind. Because if you if you work all the time with, you know, ex with your body and your muscles and things like that, manual labor and then your your um you know, your hobby is to do things that are manual labor. You're going to burn out. The same thing is true if we use our minds and we're speaking, we're writing, we're teaching, whatever we're doing, and we turn around and then our hobbies is just about our mind. We're going to grow very weary and we're going to get very tired and it could be burnout. So my encouragement to people is, in fact, I'm finding it's a lot of people who ministry are wanting to read my book about Stop Chasing Happy because I said, I'm afraid some of us started out young. We started chasing the happiness we thought was found in being the ministry. And now we're not quite as happy as we thought they were because maybe we were building on the wrong things. 
I'm, I'm always curious, what are some of the disciplines that you have kind of uh, weaved into your life, into the fabric of who you are, that help um, keep you in a, in a grounded, uh, foundational place? What are uh, some of your practices on a daily basis or, or weekly mm-hmm. basis even that help you stay in a place where you're not um, so quick to burn out? Well, there's two or three things. Number one is um, I have a I have a time every day, quiet time when I talk with the Lord. The Lord and I have an honest, heartfelt conversation. And guess what? I tell the Lord exactly how I feel. People are surprised that I sometimes <laughs> tell the Lord, Lord, I don't like this. I don't like what you're doing. I don't like how this person is doing it. But I've discovered I've never told the Lord anything that he didn't already know. That's number one. And so Amen. I spend time and Lord, out of your word, how do you want to speak to me? And and allow God to speak to me from his word, to spend time talking with the Lord. And for me, that also involves journaling, writing down either a mm. prayer, what I'm doing to process. Because sometimes I need that to go back and look, you know, five years later, even 10 years later, 20 years later now, and look at some of that and thought, wow, boy, if I knew then what I know now. Well, God does know, you know, he knows what the future holds. So that helps. The second thing I've discovered is. I need people in my life that are not members of my fan club. (laughs) And by that, I mean, we tend to gravitate to people who are always telling us how wonderful we are. You know, two or three of my closest friends are not impressed with me. Now, what I mean by that, they, (laughs) they like me. We're good friends. We can hang out together, but they're not sitting there telling me, how great my latest book is. They're not telling me all oh, that. They're just who they are. And, and, and when I ask them a question, they painfully tell me the truth, you know, and mm. I find all of us need those people in our lives that are not people. We, we like the people who tell us how wonderful we are. And we don't just need to be with people who tell us how terrible we are, but we do need to be with friends who are honest and keeping you grounded. Because here's what I've discovered for a lot of people, we all have blind spots. I don't care who we are. I don't care how long yeah. we do life. We have blind spots. And if we don't have people, as I say, who can bloody our nose and then hug us, who can support us, but mm. also bloody our nose. If we don't have those people in our life, you're going to go through life and you're going to end up with the emperor has no clothes, but nobody tells the emperor he's naked. And, and then mm. great is the fall when that happens. So for me, it's having those kind of times to do that. And I would even add this one. Um, you know, my wife and I have been married since 1984. And we discovered early on that ministry and life can be hard on your marriage. And for us, we discovered you can be doing good things, helping other people and allowing those closest to you to suffer. So we heard someone say this It's not original with me, but it became our motto. Uh, we're going to talk daily, we're going to date weekly, and we're going to retreat quarterly. And what that, and we're going to mm. vacation annually, I would add that. For us, it means there's a time yeah. every day that we're just going to have conversation and find out what's going on in each other's life. Every week, we're going to do something that's just the two of us. Um, you know, we have grandkids and you have, you know, two wonderful daughters and two wonderful son-in-laws and all of that. They're always in our life. But there's times when we just need to be with ourselves. And then every quarter, we're going to take three or, three, three or four days just to get away by ourselves. And uh, people say, well, we don't have the money to do that. I'm going to say, look, you can stay at your own house 
and just plan three days where you're going to get up every day and, you know, go see something or go shopping to do that. It's the discipline to do it. Um, I'm sure you've heard this before, but it's true. We judge people by their actions, but we judge ourselves by our intentions. Meaning, yeah. you know, a lot of times people say, well, I'm, I, I intend to have a quiet time. But then when you look at the last time you had one, it's been years or we intend to talk. But the last time you really had a conversation, it's been weeks. So it's discipline is about consistency. It's about doing those things consistently every day. And it's like a runner, you know, a runner who runs every day or at least every other day. He's going to be able to have an endurance that the guy who never runs uh, and the day comes he has to run. He's not going to last this long. He gets rewarded for his discipline of doing it every day. And for me, that's, you know, that's those things I do. And it's also about controlling my time. Uh, I have found in my life, time is the most precious thing I have. So I want to make sure mm. that at least every day, I don't, I never start a day that I have not already written that day out on paper. I know pretty much what's going to happen. There's always surprises. There's always last minute curves, but at least I know by the time this day is ended, here are the things that I have to achieve. And uh, I'm amazed that when I am intentional about it, it's amazing how I get them done. No, I think that's, uh, I think that's a really good word for all of us. And I, I love the idea of intentionality around it. And it feels mm -hmm. so, um, it feels so pertinent to what we're talking about as it, as it comes down to stop chasing happiness, right? Because it, this all goes mm -hmm. back to this idea about and being intentional and can we be intentional and, and what does that look like? And, you know, sometimes I know that when we write, uh, when we, when we write books, we write them for, to tell our story and other times we write them for, um, specific audiences. And it, it feels mm -hmm. like this is one of those books that God kind of placed on your heart that like leads you to a, a certain place. Um, when you, when you wrote this book, who, who were you thinking of? I mean, who, who's the person that needs to pick up this copy and, and like really run with it? Well, I thought about the hundreds and I would even probably say without exaggeration, the thousands of people that I've met in my life yeah. who say, I want to be happy. And one of the things I shared at the very beginning of this book is about a trip uh, that I took one weekend. Um, and I didn't realize that I was going to interact with four distinct people who were going to greatly affect how I viewed happiness. And I, I had been invited. A pastor's wife in uh, New England had passed away and she had requested if I would speak at her memorial service. And I, I, I was honored mm. to do that. So I uh, flew um, to Vermont. I actually flew into Hartford, Connecticut and drove over to Vermont for a service. But when I got on the plane to fly to Hartford, I, I had one of those rare moments where I, because of my frequent flyer traveling, I got bumped up to first class. And this young lady yeah. got on who was probably in her 20s, a beautiful young lady in every sense of the word. She sat down by me and she had been weeping. And so after a few minutes realizing she was crying, I just leaned over and I said, look, I, I, I don't want to impose, but I am in ministry and I also have two daughters. And there's nothing gets a daddy's heart like, a, um, in my opinion, like a crying daughter. And I said, so I don't want to impose but if I can help you, I'd be glad to. And the essence of it was she looked at me and she first said, oh, I'm OK. And then later on, she just kind of 
looked at me and she said, I just want to tell you it's not right. It's wrong. And she just began to verbally spew this anger, not towards me. I was receiving it Mm. because she had just entered her last beauty pageant that she could be in in order to qualify for Miss America. And she came in second place. And she told me her story about how if she could just win Miss America, she would be happy. And and I talked her through that a little bit, didn't make a lot of progress. Then I go the next day to speak at the memorial service. And here was a pastor's wife, by her own admission, never entered a beauty contest, didn't worry about that. But at the conclusion of the service, they opened up, and this was a very small church. It wasn't a large church, but they opened up the opportunity for anybody in the audience who wanted to share what Marge, this lady who had died, had meant to them. And Tim, I got to tell you, for four hours, people went to the microphone, homeless people mm. who wept. Uh, a tw- and the conclusion of it, the last one was a 12-year-old girl, a 12-year-old girl who stood up and said, I'm going to miss Miss Marge because she's the only woman in town who gave me hugs. And for those of us who don't wow. get hugs, we're going to miss her. And I'm sitting there and I thought back to the last visit I had with her before she passed away. She's dying of cancer. And she literally laughed every moment, not because of her pain, mm-hmm. but life was such a joy for her. And I realized at that moment, comparing these two people, this person thought, well, I'd be happy if I win Miss America. This person had found happiness by doing what God called her to do, to be his representative in a little small town in a pastor's wife. Yeah. So then I'm flying home. And as I'm flying home, I went to the to this area where they have for people who are frequent flyers. And I just was going to sit in and read some stuff in my Bible. And as I was reading my Bible, I heard this voice say to me, uh, you a preacher? And I could tell it was this deep voice. And I looked up and there was a beast of a man. I'm talking about probably one yeah. of the, this guy had muscles that just, I mean, he could tabitate one hand and, and squeeze me in two. And I said, yes, sir, I am. And then I noticed this emblem on his back that he was a professional wrestler. And I, I immediately, I, I didn't, I don't watch wrestling that much. I did when I was a kid, but we start this conversation and he asked me the most unusual thing. He said, well, let me ask you this. Are you happy? He asked me that question. And I said, well, yes, I am. Mm. He said, I bet. Uh, he said, well, why are you happy? And I said, well, I'm happy because I have a relation with the Lord. I believe with everything that God has called me to, to speak into people's lives and to help them to serve him and find their purpose. And he begins to tell me that. And so I asked him, are you happy? Now, here's a guy who's very famous, who obviously is very wealthy. And he starts telling me, well, I'm trying to be. He tells me about four or five very rare cars he has. He tells me how big his house is. He tells me all of this material possession he has. And I said, but sir, are you happy? And he said to me, well, when I get this car and he listed a couple of things, then I think I'll be happy. And I had the opportunity to talk to him about that a little bit. And then we had to go our ways. But as I walked off, I thought, okay, the girl was trying to have, find happiness in the approval of people. He's trying to find happiness in stuff. And neither of them are going to ever be happy. I thought back to Marge. And then the fourth person I met was a dear friend whose name is Catherine Wolf. I don't know if you had the privilege to meet Catherine. And Catherine was a lady who was on was in the West Coast, was going to be an actress and a model when she had a very unusual stroke that left her partially paralyzed. And yet she's one of the happiest people I know because she had determined 
before the stroke that her life's mission was to glorify God, whatever that purpose was. And now, though she has some physical challenges, she will not be an actress. She will not be a model. She speaks to people. And it's not just somebody who's resigned to it. Her happiness never changed because her happiness was not based on her appearance. It was not based on her possessions. It was based on her walk with the Lord. And she knew her purpose Mm. was to glorify God. Didn't really like the way God went about it. But she says, I know God's, (laughs) I know what God's got this. And he's right. She has influence for more people than she would ever influence if she had been an actress or a model. And I looked at those four people, all four people I met literally within a 24 hour period, never planned it, didn't expect to meet these four people. And yet I discovered here are two people who will never find happiness. They're going to spend their life chasing it, thinking it's just in people approving my appearance and believing just getting, you know, possessions or whether it's in serving the Lord. That's why I hear people say this a lot. I will be happy if, or I would be happy if, and if you're, if you're listening to us today and you've said those words, I would be happy if, if I had a different job, I would be happy, you know, if I had money, I would be happy, you know, if, if I had a different spouse, I would be happy if I I had kids, whatever you want to fill in the blank. I need to make an announcement. Those things are not going to bring you happiness. They may bring you a temporary pleasure. They may remove some pain that you're currently having, but ultimately they're not going to bring you happiness because everybody I know that had the blank filled in were just as miserable six months, a year later, because they're basing it on something that's like quicksand. It's, it's, it's temporary. It's not permanent. But when you base your happiness on what God created you to do, which is to glorify him and to fulfill the assignment he's given you in life, whatever it is, when you do that, you're going to find true long, long-term joy and happiness. That's what you're going to find. Ooh, that'll that'll preach any day of the week. I absolutely <laughs> love it. I love it. I love it. I think it's such an important uh, message for for this season of life that we find mm-hmm. ourselves in. Uh, Phil, I know that our audience and our friends are going to want to find you. Where's the best place for them to learn more about you, to pick up their copy of the book, and to get connected to to what God's doing through your ministries? Well, the book is available through uh, sources like Amazon. Most people have Amazon or other uh, bookstores. You can find it or you can go to my website, which is philwaldrop.org. Now, I always like to spell that for people because they misspell my name. Just P-H-I-L-W-A-L-D as in dog, R as in Robert, E as in Edward, P as in Paul.org, P-H-I-L-W-A-L-D-R-E-P.org. And that's how you get in contact with me. I'd love to hear from people. I try my best to answer emails myself. Uh, most of the time I'm able to do that. Uh, love to hear from people. Love for people to read the book, Stop Chasing Happy by Phil Water. You can get it at Amazon, other bookstores as well. And we'll link to all that in the show notes and we'll make sure that people can get connected. Uh, Last question. I always love to ask people. It's an, it's an advice question. And uh, I'm going to (laughs) ask you to, to give yourself one piece of advice, except I get to pick the time and day that uh, of the day. Mm -hmm. So 
So if you could go back and talk to um, talk to the younger version of yourself the day after you were married. I think mm-hmm. you said you were married in 1984. So the day after you were mm-hmm. married, if you could go back and talk to that younger version of Phil, what's the one thing that you're going to look him in the eyes and tell him? I would look him in the eye and tell him, don't spend most of your time with people that are never coming to your funeral. Invest mm. your time with the people who care about you, who want to be with you, and who will ultimately be at your funeral. And for me, that meant making my relationship with the Lord the number one priority, but my relationship with my wife second, my relationship with my kids third, my relationship with my church family and friends fourth, and then everything else I do that may be related to even my ministry come after that. What I did in the early days, I flipped it. I I had my relationship with the Lord, but I thought my ministry was an extension of that. So in the early days, my wife and my kids wasn't as high a priority. And now if I could look back, I would say, you know what? All those people you were trying to impress back then, um, they don't even know who you are now. And so Hmm. if I could say that to me, I I, kind of summarize it. I tell people it's not original with me. Spend your time with the people who are going to come to your funeral not with people who are not coming to your funeral. And if you do that, if I had done that, uh, even though I've got a great life and God's been good, and I have kids and a wife who've been very patient through that process of me learning, I would have, I definitely would have done that different. Uh, praise God. Praise God. Uh, Phil, thank you so much for your generosity of time today. Thank you for what you're putting out into the world and for your ministry. And uh, I, I really uh, hope we can stay connected as both of us continue on Absolutely. what God's called us to do. I would love to do that. Thanks for having me. It's always a joy to talk to you. I told you guys what a great conversation with Phil. I love the way he talked about fulfillment, intention, and hope about reading the Bible out loud to get the word of God in you and talk daily, date weekly, retreat quarterly, just really good rhythms to practice spiritual contentment. Please do me a favor, check out his website, check out his information. Also, you may have noticed uh, Phil and I really didn't get a chance to chat very long and he called me Tim several times in the episode. I can assure you we talked afterwards. It's all good. I just didn't want to cut out any of that great content. So now that you've listened to the end of the podcast, you know the inside scoop. Don't forget, subscribe wherever wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave a rating rating or review on iTunes and uh, share this episode with a friend. As always, don't forget, if you want to follow Jesus, you must be willing to move.